0: Welcome to the Player Engage podcast where we dive into the biggest challenges, technologies, trends, and best practices for creating unforgettable player experiences. Player Engage is brought to you as a collaboration between Keyword Studios and HelpShift. Here is your host, Greg Posner. Hey everybody, welcome to the Player Engage podcast. Today we are joined by Arseny Lebedev, a seasoned veteran in the gaming industry. With over a decade of experience, Arseny's journey began as an intern at Large Animal Games. Later, finding Cygnus Labs in 2009 and making a mark by developing casual games and partnering with top publishers. Arseni's expertise spans over managing live top-grossing games, leading game strategies at EPAM, and heading a studio at MZ. Currently, as the co-founder and CEO of Original Games, Arseni continues to innovate, especially in mobile games. Arseni, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here and about this conversation. Anything you want to say about yourself?
1: I mean I think the the biggest thing the biggest thing about me is uh I've been an entrepreneur and kind of a founder my entire career essentially right after college um and I think that gives me a kind of a unique viewpoint and a unique opinion I'm very opinionated so if you're listening keep in mind that uh that's that's my point of view I've always worked for myself or 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 some investors
0: I love it and it's not often I get someone that has resided in Jersey for a period of time like myself lived in Hoboken like myself so it's nice to be talking to someone from that perspective but uh, I like what you said you are uh, you're you were business oriented from the beginning and listening to some of your background you you after your first job right at large animal games where you were an intern you it's an interesting story of whether we have time to talk about how you got that job or not but you then went into your family business which had nothing to do with gaming but but You learned a lot there and maybe you can kind of give us an experience on what learnings you've got in an early age from that family business.
1: By the way, I think we were neighbors in Hoboken. Some at some, we were very close. I mean, everyone's a neighbor. It's a small town. Everyone's yeah. You, everyone moves years. from
0: like ten apartments one to the other to the other. Yeah, it's yeah. a wonderful little town. That's way too expensive now.
1: Nowadays, too expensive. Yeah. So I think like one of the one of the key th- so there's 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 two takeaways, and I don't really I don't talk about this a lot, but right after college, um, I had a period when when I worked for a family, and the business was components for renewable energy for solar energy. But for me, it was like you come out of business school and you go into essentially like a sales, a, a full like turnkey sales role. So um, prospecting, do, doing the, the legal piece and then going through that the, the contracts are actually uh, done. Um, and it's a, it's a very tricky kind of scientific business. So a lot of times there'd be disputes on quality and all all that kind of stuff. So that was a really cool experience where you just get thrown right in and, you know, I'm, I'm thankful. And at the same time, you know, not thankful that, um, that level of stress right after college. I think that the second piece though, is that that afforded me a lot of travel. I had to travel a lot just as the business was international. And it's like, you know, you get hit, you get hit in the face with a bat, but, it really was good. Like it's, it's a, it's very good. And I recommend anyone that is starting out, throw yourself into the deep end or just travel as much as you can to places that have a good standard of living. So the same standard of living that you have, but like the, the mindsets are so different. So for me, that was like Southeast Asia and Asia in general, where, you know, High standard living, same as same as in Hoboken, um, but but how they got there was just very different from you know how, how we all got there, and that that really set my path, um, and and set me uh, thinking that you know there isn't just one way of doing anything. You know, if, if all these places have the same stuff we have, but it's it's like everything's different.
0: What I find one thing I always like to talk to people about is what they kind of aspired to be when they grew up, when they were in grade school, right? Not everyone plans to do what they're doing. And you, for, for college, right? You went to Stevens, which is a really good technical institution. Did you uh, imagine that you were going to come out of there being doing contracting and QA work for your, for your family? Or was that kind of like a out of left field? Like, oh, now all of a sudden I learned all this technical stuff. I'm doing contracting work.
1: I think the, uh, the point was I've always played games and I, I really like games um, and I told myself, so when I, when I was an intern back, back in the, uh, so I was an intern still in college. And then I had a couple months after where I was still a large animal, but, uh, but I think I told myself at some point, it's like, Hey, if, if I can do these three things at this company, then like, this is probably what I should just do. And that kind of fell in line with what, um, I've always wanted to do it, I think it's more about, it's not like, uh, you know, I want to be an astronaut because I like space. I think it's like I want to do games because I like the the people, like I like the atmosphere.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. Is there a game it's going back to your your childhood that you first played that was like, I need to do this for a living? This is what this is the hook that you got. Yeah,
1: I, I mean, I don't know, like I the. the... I always think back, like, what am I, what, what are the, the things that you're into? So like, for me, it was, it was all, the, it was all the point and click adventure games. And, you know, I'd like to tell people that I learned how to speak English playing Lucas Arts games. Um, and it's funny this over this holiday, I was replaying um, some of those games and I wrote uh, one of the designers an email, just cold email. And he responded like, thanks. <laughs> you know, um, that was really cool. Um, so I think it's, I think it's, these like linear old school adventure games. And it's also um, the Doom or like the build engine games. They were just so extensible and and you could just, you could change them and and their lives are, you know, I still play Doom. I was playing Doom on Friday. Um, I think those, those are super inspirational games. And I don't know if that's like a a sign of the times, but like Roblox is basically the same thing. Um, And, and, you know, there's kids growing up on it now
0: yeah a lot of cool games are starting to come out i feel like as platformers for kids that are, are both educational as well as a great way to kind of just get them playing I, I have a a five-year-old and we've been playing lego Fortnite, and it's just a great opportunity to teach them oh, yeah. the mechanics and, and teaching And That's i think a it's a great idea. way to bring the younger generation into playing games i think i think our doom is there Fortnite and whatever is coming out these days you like to travel. You mentioned travel. So, so you've traveled for work. You traveled for your, your parents' job, right? Um, you are now from New Jersey. You, you've moved to Lisbon, which is quite the hike, quite the, uh, the jump across the ocean. What is an experience like going from both New Jersey, New York, which is a fast, fast pace of life to a place like Lisbon where maybe it's not? Was it a, a shock to you? How did you manage so- that?
1: We we should back up. So, kind of in my career, um, after the states, uh, when I sold that that business, uh, that my first business, I, I essentially I was spending more time in Russia and in Eastern Europe than I was in the U.S. Um, and I eventually ended up moving. And I mean, I get I like I have a bunch of property there, so I guess I lived there for a while, a couple a couple years full time. Um, and then then when the war started, we moved here. So it's it's a really interesting kind of lesson. Is okay, so you're used to this pace of you know East Coast US, everything's fast. People are selfish, but people are still recognize that there's other people in the world um, or around them. Um and then there then then in Russia, you know, there had its own, it has its own issues, standard of living is different, uh, kind of economic situation is different. And then, you know, uh, I guess Western Europe, where it's very, very different. Um, so I thought I was pretty good with moving and all that, and it's 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 a challenge when the when the pace it's like when standard living pace like a kind of folks economic situation all that stuff that that's actually really important, and I, I think that's that's the answer to your question is like it it's a it's a challenge not for not for oh like okay I'm living next, next to the ocean now it's like no it's a challenge on how how the people here grew up and and what what are norms for them, um, and I wanted to I wanted to use this example. Um, so in New York, and if you're from the East coast, when you line up, like crossing the street, waiting for the light, it's completely fine in the States to, to just skip, skip the line. Cause you, you want to get across fast in Russia. That's rude. What are you doing? Even though everyone's still in a hurry. Um, I don't know what it is in Portugal. I like, I, I think people just hang out waiting, whether it's red light or not. Um, But that's the point. It's like even those little things you got to notice because I'm not I'm not intending to be rude. I just want to cross the street, you know, Um, and you might you might get an earful from somebody. Hey, you know, what are you doing? Um, Those kinds of things, they add up.
0: Yeah, it's just different paces of life, like understanding what it's like there. And, And not only that, right. So original games, you relocated to Lisbon. And it's not just you that you're, I mean, I guess it's just you you're responsible for, but you have a whole team of employees that, that have relocated as well. And do you feel the pressure of, I guess, succeeding because you've moved these people or these people have, just believe in your mission? They want to be a part of the team. Like, does that weigh on you at all?
1: So I, I mean yeah this is it's a multi-part question. So I think and, and we can talk about the, the our decision making process, why we picked Portugal and and all that. Um but I think it my biggest motivation for for staying here right now is because I you know we moved all these people. Um the the company we have a very kind of remote you know workflow. We can talk about that as well a bit later about my my whiteboards that are staying there empty. Um but it's like there's you definitely are way to stay here and it's not like take care of your flock but it's like you know if 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 this is our mission then then I got to be here as well um we we moved about um tw- tw- like it's going to be like 25 people this year so we moved 22 and we have, i think two more moving um slowly trickling in um but i think overall for the business it was it was a good decision for my mental health i don't know but
0: <laughs> you have time to resolve that that's yeah a- yeah
1: a lot, of, a lot of time here.
0: We kind of jumped ahead, and I want to keep talking about original games, but let's, let's back up to, to Arseny kind of going through his, his career, right? So you, uh, you worked at Large Animals, right? Then you started your own company, um, Cygnus Labs, in 2009. Is that, that's not the solar company, just to be clear, right? No, that's... no. The
1: solar company, is, uh, it's just, it was, I was there for yes. like uh, two years. Cygnus um, was a
0: more of an outsourced, kind of a co-development type like of an, yeah.
1: It's like an agency uh, that you know Keywords, keywords. Could, could have bought uh, a couple of years ago.
0: Yeah. So, uh, what was it like starting that? And, and like, do you feel that working with your parents or your family's company set you up for success? Because you worked on contracting, you worked on all these big deals, like international travel. Was that all kind of helping push you towards? Yeah. Starting yeah. Your I company? think
1: I think the the biggest takeaway, and for folks that aren't deep in business may, may not agree or may not, or I mean, whatever. But the point is, um, business is business. It's very transactional. Uh, Goodwill only goes a long way and goodwill expires fast. And I feel like business is about transactions. So when you're starting your own business, it's, you know, it's, it's all about transactions. And and I jumped, um, I had a good, I had a good foundation because again, like I was doing like $75 million um, deals from Europe to China, you know, and I was 22 or something. So so I got I, I got in very, very quickly uh, with Cygnus. Our first client was, um, um, well, one of the first clients was Zynga. I, I don't want to, th- th- we had, a, I think we had, a, it was iWin, if you guys remember, and then Zynga, very, very good, you know, incredible people that trusted me. Um, and I think we did a, a good job, but that was a lot of money that I hadn't seen, you know, in the bank account that I had access to, <laughs> so uh, that was that was good, and I think like I just again I just took a plunge, um, and it it worked out.
0: So you sell that business to EPAM. EPAM. You work for them for a couple of years. You decide, hey, I'm going to go work at a studio. I'm going to lead a studio at Machine Zone or MZ at the time. Uh, how how is that experience? How does so, so
1: I think um, with EPAM is like it's an incredible company. Uh, for me, it was like, Hey, we had 50 staff. And then now, you know, it was like 20,000 at this company. It was very different. Um, and I wanted to, I wanted that fast pace. I would, I would just turn 30. So I, I just, I wanted that fast pace and it, it was slower in this kind of corporate environment, but, it was, but like, you know, the clients there were, you know, massive, um, and the budgets were just, you know, we had, we were like, well, I can't say how much they were billing, but it was like, you know, you're building four fi- four figures an hour. It's like, Oh my God. <laughs> um, so that, that is, that was a very different, um, atmosphere. Uh, but my personal growth was, was super slow. So, um, we, you know, we kind of struck up a, a deal or, or an understanding at machine zone wanted to, so at the time, like it was, it was peak MZ and, you know, like performance marketing was, was, very, was just beginning. It was like performance marketing 2.0, you know, if we're at three or 4.0 right now. So, um, really interesting opportunity to try to find channels or, or find new, new, new game genres. And this, eventually, what, what we were doing turned into a, a hyper casual before that didn't have that name. Um, and that was, you know, I was controlling a PNL, So, it was, you know, and the, and the company itself was kind of run like a separate PNL. Uh, so th- that was interesting, and for me, it was like, okay, well, I get to do something new, and someone else is paying for it. You know, as long as as long as we show performance. Um, so then, I took a bunch of the um, you know kind of top guys that I knew, um, and we we quickly put together a quick uh, like a fifteen person team, um, and, and went from there.
0: So from Machine Zone, you start original games, and at this point, you have a lot of background. You're technical. You're business savvy. As the co-founder CEO of a gaming company, and this is going to be kind of a hard, maybe a hard question. I don't know which skill do you think comes into the most? Is the most uh, important for you? The one that you kind of exercising the most as a founder of a game studio? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I think um, it's it's a good question. It's like I always think about um, decision make decision making and. Like risk taking, and and what does that mean? Like, well, risk taking doesn't, you know, I, you know, it's not like gambling. It's like you you have to take calculate, you have to make decisions, and uh, and calculate whether that's just in your own head or, or, or deeper. What a subordinate can't do is what the founder does or what what the what the leadership does. If, if that if that's how you say it. So so I've developed a skill about how to kind of make decisions when, when things are, when there's too many unknowns or like, well, I have no one else to depend on. If I make this decision, if I make, you no know, like this process of relocation, if we make this decision, what are the, what is the possible fallout um, and, and all that? And, and how do we, how do we live with any mistakes we make? So um, that's a skill that I've kind of honed in, in a lot of, uh, a lot of the like unknowns, like that's the skill. It's like, how do you, how do you find, how do you account for the unknowns that, um, and some people call that wisdom um, that there's, there's a morality to making decisions based on unknowns. I think that's just something that you, you really have to um, cultivate over time. And, you know, you look at junior folks and they, they just, they don't know what to do. And they're going to ask you for a list of actions. Um, and you can't do that as a, you know, as a leader.
0: There's no no one else to look at. You need mentors at that point, right?
1: Yeah. And I mean, uh, it's, 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 that's another one. Yeah. That's another interesting point.
0: So a question does come up, like, how do you come up with Lisbon?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think like we had a couple, um, we were limited in certain things. Um, so, so like there were, there were certain dependencies. so like we needed to make a decision quickly um, because you know there's there's this conflict um, and, and we were in the conflict zone and we just I don't want to participate in it at all. we needed to get out of there and of course it would probably hurt. We needed to go fast because like rapidly the banking system was falling apart. Uh, rapidly they might have been starting closing borders and things like that. so, so like conditions for operating a business were rapidly, degrading. And again, there was too many unknowns. Like, is that gonna be tomorrow? Is that gonna be like, okay, well, they, they shut off uh, banking, but it still works, like all this stuff. So um, put together like a giant list of sort like country, countries and cities that may support tech. And I think the biggest one was, okay, well, these guys are coming out of Russia and Eastern Europe, you know, which immediately is like a black mark. So which countries will be okay with that? um so it was basically down to like uh you know spain or portugal you know we looked at a lot of other places it was basically down to those two and and i think the decision the decision i made telling myself that i'm going to live with you know if this is a mistake i'm gonna live with it is that spain is kind of oversubscribed i know a lot of folks in portugal let's let's just go there um but i just want to underscore that like any any decision like that, you know, you need to get as many inputs as possible. So we had, you know, I had like two law firms, um, looking at tax structure on uh, all these places, and it's interesting what mistakes we made. Actually, we can talk about that uh, later. But it's like uh, the decision ultimately was just a wisdom thing.
0: Yeah, and uh, first of all, I mean, credit to you and your whole team. Right, you acted quick, you move quick. It's a terrible situation that's happening, and. and- fantastic that you were able to kind of get that team everyone bought in find a place and relocate because because that's the healthy thing to do and you might be having your own little growing pains now because of that but it but it's probably better than the pains you would have if you weren't doing that so so that's fantastic and uh when it comes to kind of original games right you're you're making match three games you're how how do you, you is it because of the hyper-casual experience you've gotten uh, previously at MZ? Why do you decide to go the match three route? H- how does that come about?
1: Yeah, yeah. So we make merge games. So it's a oh, it's merge. Match Sorry. It's that's, match uh... two. But I mean, we actually started thinking about it as a as an, uh, match three. I, I think my idea, and, and again, like, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. My original idea was let's look at the, the loops of hyper-casual games. The core loops, they're very simple and but, but they like they get you hooked fast and then build uh, a deeper game around that so i think we spent a year looking at different game mechanics um we even had some games published um with hyper casual publishers and it was like you know it was always okay well we're not going to go deeper with this game just do, do the next do the next one but my thesis was wait a second but the, the, like they should, they should be a hybrid. The, the, you can't just have either hyper-casual or casual. It has to be something in the middle. Um So nowadays that's like all the hyper-casual developers are now hybrid casual developers and they're all trying to find a, a great sticky uh, core game that they can build out that's not a traditional puzzle game. So for us, it, it worked out with Merge Um and we spent kind of, you know, two two th- two and a half years now, I guess, um, honing how to do those games well without turning them into these massive um, expensive casual games um, and, and I still you know we still to this day argue should we should we do this complex meta um, should we do like we our, our hit our, our lead game is like has animals as, as the main characters you know which all marketers will tell you no make them people so I'm sticking by that no we should differentiate and, and you know it doesn't look like a cartoon it just You know they're animals. So yeah, I mean it was it's all numbers. The the the, the easy answer to your question it's all numbers. We tested this the one that tested it had incredible retention. Um, We were able to find a visual for it that kind of tested well on Facebook, um, and it went from there. So
0: I think this is all cool stuff. Are you are clearly monitoring different? Analytics and, and kind of player data. Uh, how do you capture that? And are there specific KPIs that are important to you and your team?
1: Yeah, I think so. I, I want to back up to say that, like, you know, where are we at with so we have two games merge in and merge them. Um, the past maybe six six to nine months, we've been thinking about again this this question about how do you like how do you make the the KPIs of this game look like a traditional uh, casual game, um, but maybe not commit that's that same um team size and all that because we we're just we're much smaller and our uh, our strengths are elsewhere so we've been looking at live ops and live ops meaning how do we deliver content you know at the right moment for the right amount of time and then personalize it for players to to maximize um kind of like uh you know ltv so we're looking at of course, we're looking at long-term retention, but we're actively looking at um, like ARPU, but, but maybe even like, we're thinking about everything as, as segments. So we have like eight segments um, and it's, it's more about like, how do you get the lower the lower paying segment up to the higher paying segments? That's kind of what we're looking at. So, so it, is, it is kind of check size. We, we call it kind of uh, transactional value. Um, the, the second piece is our games heavily monetized with ads. There really isn't much traditional experience with uh personalization and ads. Um, so that's another challenge. Is like how do you how do you factor ad revenue into transactional value? That's kind of what's in my head all the time. And we've had tremendous growth this past like these past two months just just on player personalization and all that stuff and we haven't we haven't had content added to the game in such a long time we've just been personalizing um adding just like segmenting how much time users get in certain things Uh, and and that that is you know providing such tremendous growth on kind of ltv um that i don't know if i want to do a big meta like i don't know if we need to i think we we need to figure out what, what players want
0: that's a cool approach. And going back to the first point, you're kind of talking about how you take your your big spenders, your VIPs, and, and how do you convert some of the lower spending users into those VIPs? And I can tell you at keywords, right, that's a big thing we're looking at in 2024 as well as kind of the VIP program. How do you, you know, there's a your 80% of your revenue is probably made up by your VIPs. How do you start tapping into that lower percentage and getting them to commit and play more and, and do all that stuff? So I think it's fascinating to look at that way. And I love the fact that you're just tinkering with the game's mechanics, the timing and stuff like that, and building tons of updates to the game. It's it's almost like you're polishing off what needs to happen to allow players to kind of experience different parts of the game. So I think that's a really cool way of looking at it.
1: Yeah, we, we call it the Valley of Pain.
0: There you go. Um, it takes some time. I mean, your your audience is obviously adapting, adapting, adapting to it real well, right? So that's a cool way to look at it. Do you often think about what you want to build next, or is that getting I way mean, too far it's ahead? it's like
1: You, um, the constant struggle I have is, I have, you know, I have, you know, we all have very kind of passionate ideas about another puzzle title that has a more traditional uh meta. Um because I think just like with every genre, the stuff in merge is just so derivative. There's there's nothing like original. <laughs> um, but uh it's like I want to get into that. But on the other hand, building more games is just going to build short-term profit, short-term revenue. And and if I can figure out um in in one of these titles how do we, with a team our size, like you said, VIP management, like I have some, I have some crazy ideas on that. I don't think it involves changing prices, you know, every five seconds, depending on um, X, Y, and Z. I, I think it's deeper and it's like, we just, we need to make sure it's it's fair for everybody um, and find the cadence that um, we don't need a 60 person live ops team. Like, I think that that's, what's more interesting and, and kind of, it's not a lower hanging fruit. A lower hanging fruit is releasing 20 more games just copying you know everything that's on the market like i don't i'm not there right now i don't think i don't want to do that i would rather figure out figure this out
0: makes sense and i like again what you said about vip and and more so around how, how you're crafting unique experiences for them right it's not about changing prices it's not about doing that it's about providing different experiences um Uh, we learned about eve and eve for example treated all players in the first 30 days as vips letting them know what that experience is like and then kind of mitigating and doing different things from the players from there so i think it's a lot of fun kind of guessing and checking it doesn't require much change to the game right it's more about the dynamics and how you handle that so i think that's really cool and i I think it's a great way to take a look at it without having to build more games because then that's just going to be more and more to manage right it's kind of a pain in the butt
1: it's just i want to underscore how tempting it is to launch something and just raise your raise your revenue every month but it's again it's like it's much sexier to get like we had we had such a our our arpu doubled over the holidays because we we launched kind of very selective sales and we we tuned up our, our holiday balances that's like such a bigger win i think
0: yeah for sure it's cheaper for you in the long run too it's funny that you, uh, your first client you were talking about was Zynga. And I went yeah. to school in Maryland. It was in the town next door to where Zynga started. And it kind of almost reminds me of Zynga because Zynga for the longest time, I think, was just Farmville. And for years and years, it was just Farmville. And then eventually they just made so much money from it. Then they kind of branched out into other things. But, you know, you focus so much on your core IP and you make it work and you get players to love it. And, and rather than releasing more, more, and more crap, right? You kind of, polish it until you're ready to go and then what zynga did was release a ton of other games right but but i I think that's a great strategy is polish what you have rather than continuing to build new your experiences with your kind of you know you relocated a lot you have remote workers you manage that lifestyle here right what are the challenges you're facing when it comes to remote work? Do you have employees that basically, obviously, you got to help with furniture and stuff, but like, how, how do you manage a team remotely? How do you guys keep in contact? I always find that interesting. What tools do you use to kind of communicate with each other? Yeah,
1: I mean, I've always been, you know, first, first business, I was remote for years and years. Um, you got to recognize that not everyone is built for that and not everybody understands the value of like having freaking normal, you know, furniture. Um, I mean, I felt that again, when, when we moved here, I still don't have a freaking proper desk and it's, you know, it's been like a year and a half. Luckily I have an office, you know, 15 minute walk, but like that stuff is important. So we started kind of lightly auditing to see how, how are, like what equipment are, are folks using? Of course we, we would supply basic, uh, hardware, but, but in terms of like s- software, right. So, you know, Slack, uh, we use google meet and we use kind of google suite you know we've been we've been on uh, atlassian so jira and, and um, confluence forever and ever R- recently um atlassian launched um pro- project discovery or something which is like i think it's like they they cloned um airtables basically it'll take your entire backlog and visualize it for like a human being um and it's whenever you have stuff that like just immediately starts working, um, you know that stuff is good, so our, our team has always been using kind of you know a, a virtual backlog meaning it's it's just in jira there, there isn't like the cards don't exist in real life. I remember back in the day what, when all of that software was you know like fog bugs and, and all that stuff was still starting you could have for example a phys- you could have the physical backlog and then you would have a digital one you know we've been we've been on digital all the time and I, I'm always pressuring, like, do we need to have this physically somewhere? Because big parts of our team are are, are in one place, um, but they're sticking to um, digital. And and I, I like, I guess, again, this is a long answer to to a small question, but it's like you have to get everybody used to every, that everything is digital. Like like Miro is another one. So that one was like, hey guys, should we use this Miro thing? It's a virtual whiteboard for folks that aren't aware, and it's like that was immediately everyone's doing everything in that now. The challenge is just folks that are just starting work don't know any of that, and I think that universities are are behind and it's actually interesting like how do you how do you teach uh, how do you teach Microsoft Office or Microsoft Excel if everyone's on Google or like is there a class about like pr- permissions? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I
1: would I would love to talk to those professors because nobody knows anything about permissions. Uh like how do you make a folder where you share your work in case you're sick? Like all that stuff. Th- those are the stupid challenges that you know, unfortunately, sometimes even the CEO has to remind people about.
0: Throughout your career, are there things that you miss about the states now? Or New Jersey? Yeah, I mean,
1: look, um I think it's like again, it's like looking back is always a mistake, but one of the things that hit me really by surprise, there was like, there's two things that hit me about Europe by surprise. Maybe I just need to change the way I think about it. So like banking in the US, business banking was just so easy. It's like, you know, I, I my, my, first business was, it was incorporated in the States. We had first Republic before they went under, uh, everything was just, you know, it was just easy. There was never like, who, who is this person? like it was it was easy and then um in Europe it's like it's just a you know you, who is google like this kind of thing and and that just stops your business until you respond to just some employee at the bank we original games is incorporated now in, in Singapore and it's like oh we're back to normal you know <laughs> no no like business disruptions because you know because of policy or whatever everything's great you will be a you know great bank so i think like just, just banking and business culture—it just—it's—it's it's very different around the, you know, around the world. Um, but how do you know, you know, that UK banks are awesome and, and you know Portuguese banks are awful? Um, and then it's like, well, how are Russian banks like functional? They're communists, like they don't know how to do banks. No, they're fine. Um, everything's fine. I think like uh, U.S. business culture. It's so fast-paced, and it's like it's just transactional, like business should be. I think I think I like that. Um, you know, p- people are into value more more than they are. You know, I need to I need to get off work and you know have a beer with my with my friends. I feel like that uh, I miss that a lot.
0: That was the beauty of Hoboken. You know, sitting right on the corner by the PATH station, seeing everyone come out—it's just prime <laughs> people
1: watching. <laughs> that used to be fun. Yeah, I used to I used to live uh, close to there.
0: What about uh, for original games? Do you have like a three, six, twelve month plan going on right now? Is it? A...
1: I think I feel really good about uh, the state of legally. You know, we have an entity here uh, that that employs the local staff, it um, employs certain contractors, all that stuff. I, we have a nice office finally. Um, it took a while, so I, f- I feel really good about that. So um, I just want to like again, I want to get through the valley of pain and and figure out exactly. Kind of what these hybrid monetization, high, um, you know, ads IEP folks uh, are doing, and increase our our KPIs to kind of the the key the goal metrics that we wanted to get to. So I think that's that's the plan. Do we want to do another product? Uh, do we want to roll up another product? I think that's all up in the air. But the most important is just um, make sure that. Things are stable. Um, you know, if, you're, if you've been following mobile, um, there's there's going to be a lot of changes to privacy and, and um, ad, ad-based revenue. So th- those are challenges that I'm willing to meet. I mean, w- you know, this, this unity thing, I know that those guys are trying to find a way to start making money. And that's also, you know, should we change what we're developing on? That's a big question for us. Because um, it's like, if you have a monopoly on the platform, how are you not making money? But, you know, maybe there's something wrong in in the enterprise or or in your pricing. And and that's kind of what we're looking at. Um,
0: As a a fan of the gaming industry, are there any trends that you're seeing that that are exciting you as a player, not necessarily as an owner or founder?
1: Yeah, I think like uh, if you want to talk about games, like I'm a big gamer. I've just, I've been playing, um, like I said, I'm, I'm on vacation this week. So I've just been taking it super, super slow. I've been playing Cyberpunk again from, from zero. Um, I played it. I thought I thought it was a good game. I don't know. I I didn't see what the problem was. Then then you you know then you play it from from you know starting again um, with all the updates and it's like okay this is this is a much more polished experience. Uh, All the key beats are still there, but it's just so much like so. I'm like I'm completely fine replaying it again. And I never play games twice, especially sort of linear games. This is kind of a linear game. You know what's the point of playing it again? I really like. What Epic is doing with Fortnite, I really like Roblox. I don't really look at those as well I look at games as art, um, and it's almost like if the game is really well made, you're experiencing emotions that you know they're like planned, or at least there's a beat that was planned here, and you can react to it how you react. I think one of the one of the ways I justify playing a lot of games to myself um, is that you know if you watch a movie you will rarely form a memory about the movie. But in the game, you actually form memories. You can dream about your experience in the game because there's some level of interaction. And, you know, I love linear games, but there's, it's, it's still, it's like, I think that makes it worthwhile. You are building memories and, and it's like that kind of art form. So if you look at something like Roblox and Fortnite, there, there is an art to it because it's, it's, you know, player-made stuff. Some of it's fun, some of it's trash. But I mean, it's like it's like the next uh, generation of, of all this stuff, um, and you can see the same old trends that that you know you and I used to play when we were little little Hoboken kids. Um, so I love that. Um, I think the final one is more. Again, it's like you're seeing more and more indie games that matter, you know, versus these giant ass, you know, m- m- beh- behemoth multiplayer games that just like they don't even make it past launch. I love that. And as as a gamer, I think the mobile stuff that we do, I take a lot of pride in it because it helps folks that aren't really into kind of these big, high budget games still form those memories, you know, that I mentioned.
0: Yeah. Uh, there's a few things you said there that I love. And I think the biggest one to me is just the experience, right? You, you, you can go see a movie at launch, right? In, in IMAX. And yeah, it's going to create a cool experience for you. But like, within a couple of weeks, it's going to be gone. But I mean, I've, like I said earlier, I've been playing Lego Fortnite with both my son and my wife and we have the Switch and I play on an Xbox. So we're playing cross play next to each other. And it's just like, <laughs> that's funny. it's just a fun experience to be able to play a game with someone on the, it's old school couch co-op, right. But like each on our own system and, you know, for, I feel like for a few generations, you know, couch co-ops started to die because of online co-op and, and like, Reminds me of sitting in like my, my dorm or my house playing Halo land party where we all just kind of plug in central locations. Just like we're gonna form these experiences and years later you could talk about those experiences because you remember them like they were yesterday and it's just an awesome place and, and yeah, I, I yeah. like the way you put
1: that. And then with movies it's it's not a it's very different. Like so we have like I love whiteboards because I love drawing, but like you have Mira. Uh, you have Miro that replaces <laughs> that, and and now whiteboards are like this this thing that you see on a TV. So that really got me thinking about what is what isn't the office of the future? Like, is it just someone's house? Like, I really hope not. So we we started renting our office here. This is pr- I guess this is my my fourth office that I'm like participating in building, putting together, and you know we we have the the, the money to do kind of whatever we want to, of course. If, if I'm doing it, it's going to be as scrappy as possible. Um, but like, is an office just a bunch of meeting rooms? Like, is that what an office is? Maybe. It's annoying to have to create policies for, for folks to visit. But then whenever they do, it's like, oh, I get to see my teammates. They're human beings. Like, that. there's a certain value to it. And it's just unfortunate that it looks like in the future, companies are going to have office visitation roles. But then, like, what what else? we have a, we have a problem that everyone wants a dedicated desk. Well, dude, you're coming in two times a week. Yeah, I, how do I have to buy four times as as many, you know, tables and, and kind of workstations because we have to accommodate everybody. Um that's a that's an a, a weird question and it's kind of a sensitive topic. It's like of course everyone should have, you know, kind of their own de- dedicated space, but you know, of course you don't have to carry. So, so it's like, okay, fine. Well, I don't, I'm not going to use a monitor and the and mouse and the keyboard and all that. I'll just bring my laptop. It's like, well, are you just going to be sitting on your tiny screen laptop? Um, it's also, it, it's just like a very weird question. Uh, maybe one day someone, someone will answer it or, you know, may, maybe just buy everyone's buy everyone a workstation that's, that sits in the office. So I, it's an unusual future for us.
0: I'm starting to sense, and maybe it's obvious at this point that, I mean, at least here in New York, back to office is pretty much going to be a standard. I I know I have a couple of friends that work for Bloomberg. They're back in the office five days a week now. So, like, you know, it's funny. I, I I was working remote before the pandemic hit. It's tough, man. Like I could have baseball on my TV right over here. Like when we're sitting in a meeting, right? I might be doing multitasking. And there's to your point, the power of the whiteboards. Like, let's just whiteboard this and game plan it. And there's just so much knowledge share that happens. And I did a podcast with a girl, Lauren, she's from Calibri Games, and she said there's just a power to having a pen and paper. Like it's a powerful tool that people don't utilize anymore. And the same thing with a whiteboard where like we can collaborate, we can be together. If I had a whiteboard right here and we were working together on zoom, like you might be watching again, the baseball game on your, on your laptop. How do I know what you're actually doing? Yeah. And I am not an advocate for forcing people to go back into the office full time, but I was just having a conversation with my boss yesterday. It's like, it would be nice to start seeing each other a little more often in person. And I mean, we're remote completely. We're not just, we're in the States, all over the States, but like you need to be able to get with people once in a while, or else you go stir crazy. And, and it's just not a pleasant experience. I
1: mean, experience. it's like yeah, the Apple Vision thing is coming out, right? I think it's shipping in the US soon or whatever. I'm, I don't care at all. I'm not following it. But it's like, do you imagine? A, like we had? we had an EPAM project back in the day to pitching to a pharmaceutical, essentially that device. Um, and it's like, I, I don't know how to make it. I just like put a concept together. Um, and it's like, is that the future of, of work? We're all sitting in, our, in in these goggles, like, I don't know, crazier stuff has happened, uh, especially with, with the younger generation is like, the, the, they're much more virtual kind of feeling and, and, and insensitive than we are. But it, I mean, isn't it kind of silly to to force folks to come, to, to come into an office? Um, I mean, so, th- and the reason this is, I want to underscore this, that like some companies are completely fine being fully virtual. Mm-hmm. So when you're hiring, it's like, well, I, I, if I go work at this other company, it's like, I don't have to come into it. I just sit at home, you know? And I'm not saying that people are, you know, watching baseball or whatever. I think it's like, it's a human factor. And you forget that like the people that in Slack are humans. They're, they're, they they have a soul just like you and, you know, they, they need to have... To be respected.
0: It's also, you know, I mean, our generation maybe our want to work remote. I, I know once I had my children, it was just like, I don't want to be commuting an hour and a half to the city both ways. But like, and everyone's like, yeah, why would people want to go back to the office? But there's also the people coming out of college. But you know, my first few years out of college, when I was working down by Wall Street, like were some of the best experiences of my life. We'd go for happy hours. We'd go like that's how you meet people. That's how potential people meet their future spouses. Like
1: yeah, yeah, that's a good. Just point. because
0: we're in the mindset like, no, I'm never going back to work. That's silly. Who would want to do that? There's a whole younger generation that's coming out of school or young, right, that want to be able to go back into the office. And then companies are going to look at the two people like, well, Greg doesn't want to come to the office, and this new guy does want to come to the office. Who are we going to hire? And it's it's a shitty place to be in, but at That's the same time, there has, be, there has to be like a flexibility where it's like, all right, well, a, a couple of days I think makes sense, but a, who, who knows? It's going to change consistently. And at some point, rent is going to be due at an office yeah. in the city or in San Francisco. And they're going to be like, oh, well, we're keeping our lease. So get back in the office.
1: I think like uh, maybe my final thought on this is um, I, I'm I'm very interested in kind of office design. and And I think in the 60s or something, there was some study about what is what is a proper office kind of what is it supposed to be and they uh, it, three zones so you have a private work zone basically like a cubby hole in a library then you have kind of a standard work area like like we're we're used to and then you have some kind of uh space like a teamwork space like an engagement space i'm i'm very fascinated about that idea i mean for me like i i'm just sitting there with my headphones trying to uh not hear anything, I guess, you know, white noise, but there's some folks that that maybe like that. I mean, but also to keep in mind like, you know, digital artists, we have those tablets that are just these massive tablets. Um so they're they're always stuck to kind of how they're working. Um but I, and I wonder who's gonna who's gonna find the uh the the new office of the future. Very curious what that's gonna be like.
0: Yeah, especially how we all work together. I don't think the Vision Pro is the way to go. I sooner see that with people sleeping on the flight just watching hundred and fifty inch It's got a two-hour
1: battery life. It's a quick flight.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Arseny, I I appreciate you coming on today. It was a. I'm hoping the whole thing got recorded, but it was a really great discussion. I love hearing your perspective, and not only that, again, going from Stevens to starting to working with your family business to starting your own business to selling it to starting another gaming company to relocating, tons of cool stuff. And credit to you for for making the hard decisions that you had to and doing all that. Before we we end for the day is there anything you want to share with our audience
1: yeah i think like i had this sentence in my notes i think the most important thing is to plan for the unknown in any decisions you make so you 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 know there's things you don't know and, and i think that those are the key planning planning for that is kind of the key to any big decision that's my that's my final thought there
0: and i'll also add that arseni will be i believe at pocket gamers london which I yes. think by the time this airs, will be in about a week. Uh, we'll have information for original games. We'll have information about Arsene. We'll have all information available on our Player Engage website. Again, Arsene, I really appreciate you coming on today and making time for this. And I, I hope you have the great rest of your day.
1: Thanks. See you around.